0: Hello, everyone. Redcoat here. Santia here also. And we've got yet another podcast for you. And today we're going to be talking about Kickstarter and how that relates not only to the developers, but to the consumers as well, or as we call them, the venture capitalists.
1: Yeah, that's actually an important distinction that I want to make and something that was a bit of an impetus for wanting to do this podcast in the first place. One of the big issues that I think happens with Kickstarters, and we're jumping into this feat first, let me tell you, is that backers are acting in the role of venture capitalists, not as consumers. So a consumer is somebody who purchases a product, whether it be a loaf of bread to literally eat or a movie to watch or whatever else, a consumer is a very distinct role, and a lot of people are used to being a consumer. But Kickstarter is not a consumption marketplace. It is for venture capitalists. Venture capitalists are people who have decided to put money into something in the hope of getting some sort of return out of it. So in this case with Kickstarter, your stated return on investment is what they say the back reward is. So you put money in, you're investing it in them, that's what you're hoping to get out. But it should be noted that you
0: put that money in and you are taking a risk. It's not a gumball machine that you put the money in, out comes a gumball. It's probably a bad analogy, but it's closer to a slot machine. Um, although this slot machine is a lot more reliable than a one-armed bandit.
1: Oh, well, it's a slot machine trying to win. And this is where the the issue arises because a lot of people aren't used to the concept of venture capitalism. Most people aren't venture capitalists. So you get a lot of false conceptions when they think of themselves as consumers and are actually being venture capitalists. With all investing, there's a chance that you will lose value. That's yeah. just a case. With venture capitalism, you're putting your money in, you're hoping it will return, but there's a chance that it won't. So you have to assess carefully to try to make sure that you're investing your money into a venture, hence venture capitalists, person putting up the capital—that's money—for the venture. You have to do a lot of analysis and assessment to determine whether or not you think it is worth putting money into the thing. There is, for example, the show like Shark Tank. Yeah. Uh, those are venture capitalists, investors—they probably call them there or sharks or whatever they want to call them. People come up and say, "Here's a thing I want to make," and the venture capitalist says, "Am I going to make money by putting money into them?"
0: Yeah. And uh, Shark Tank is actually a pretty interesting example because one of the things that that show is that all of the product makers, they basically come up with their game face on and their best performance of, okay, this is what my thing does. I'm going to show you doing what it does and things like that. But after they're done, then there's this period where they actually converse with the venture capitalists and the capitalist is like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but how are we going to get this out onto the market? Why would I use this this way? This seems more like this other thing, or there's this other product on on the market that does this same thing. And these are questions that a venture capitalist's is going to ask, uh, that the developer may or may not have answers for. They're not necessarily businessmen.
1: Yeah. Now, the thing that's beneficial about Kickstarter is you're generally not putting money in to try to get money out. You're putting it in in the hopes of getting the backer rewards. Now you might, as with any investment, get a bigger return on than you expect, which would be, for example, stretch goals. Yep. However, reality is sometimes projects will fail. Not all investments are successful. This is just how things are. People don't want it but it happens. So one of the dangers with Kickstarter is how hype can draw people into making investments into something that maybe they wouldn't if they were thinking about things more clearly. And we'll get to
0: this a little bit later in, but also how those massive investments can actually cause the venture to lose some of its ability to reach the new goals that are set for it.
1: Yeah. So venture capitalists are kind of they're the backers again. It's kind of a big part, but it's not the only part. You have to have the people that are making the project, the, the developers, the project owners. Yeah, so the project owner has a
0: lot on their plate, especially when it comes to a Kickstarter. One of the very important things that they have to do is they have to figure out what is the cost that they
1: expect to need to do. Absolutely. That's a huge deal. It's one of the many responsibilities that they have as they're preparing for their Kickstarter. There's a lot of others, including figuring out the layout of the page, setting things up, pre-planning stretch goals if you're intending to have them. I highly recommend pre-planning your stretch goals and not spontaneously making more in the middle of the campaign.
0: Yeah, this harkens back to the thing we had stated earlier about a venture losing its ability to actually reach the
1: goals set for it. Yeah. It's bad to make plans in the spur of the moment that you then need to deliver on. We were looking earlier today in preparation for this at a couple of past Kickstarters. Yeah, I believe
0: it was Shantae, Half Genie Hero, Yep, the Bloodstained Kickstarter, which the product is, well, both of those two products are still in development.
1: Yeah, although Half Genie Hero now has a release date. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. And Mighty Number Nine, which was released this year. Yeah. Now all of those well Bloodstain still has, you know about a a year. About a a year. Well, about a year before it runs over schedule. Yes. But one of the things that you'll notice with all of these is they hit multiple stretch goals. Yes. This is a key corollary that we cannot ignore. Um, yeah. So with Shantae, half-genie hero, one of the things that WayForward explicitly said when people asked them, hey, why are you running over schedule? I thought you guys knew what you're doing. They're like, we do. We hit a bunch of stretch goals. And we looked at them. They hit a bunch of stretch goals that are going to take a lot of time. That's why it's taken them three years to make that game when they initially thought it'd be, what, closer to one? Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, it turns out there was so many art goals that were met, and it making art for an hd animated thing that you know has to live up to a certain level of animation fidelity and character that takes time i mean look at any disney animated feature and oh, that's for sure that's 2 hours of movie and those can take upwards of 2 years yeah and so you take that sort of animation fidelity and then you say, but players have to use this. It has to behave correctly everywhere inside
1: of a constantly variable environment. That's going to take time. Yeah, uh, something else actually is that stretch goals will wreck those estimates and you can't change those estimates as far as I know. So they will become wrong really, really quickly. Something else though that I think is just important to think about is the nature of projects will often kind of change along the way so most of what happens on kickstarter and we're generally going to be talking about games here because that's what we're mostly familiar with are people who have an idea something that they've always wanted to make they haven't made this sort of thing before they're working with a new team often there's a group of people who have gotten together and like exciting ideas This is what we want to make. We're all really excited about it. They might discover in the process of making it that some of those ideas don't quite work the way that they wanted, and so they have to change them to something that does function. This can frustrate some percentage of backers that are like, Hey, I thought we were going to get this. Why are we now getting this? And the reason? Well, the initial idea didn't work. If you've listened to our Stages of Game Design podcast... You'll know that one of the things that happens is you come up with a bunch of concepts during pre-production and you kind of figure out in the course of making it whether or not they're any good. So stuff can sound really good on paper, turn out really poorly in practice... And when things are as transparent, as early as they are with a Kickstarter often, you're going to run into the consumer being privy to that without having that sort of hands-on experience. This is just a thought. Take it or leave it. It might be useful to say, here's why we made the decision. You try it. You play it. You see what you think. This is how we felt about it. This is why we're making that decision.
0: It is a really difficult role. Uh, in our earlier talk about development, there was also that statement of there are some elements of a game that will never feel good until it's complete. And it's really hard when you're in a, well, basically when you're in a fish tank and everybody's looking at you and examining the, the smallest detail of what you're doing to be able to confidently say, no, this will work trust me this will work we just have to get this done or to be in that situation where we're like I don't know if this is going to work but we're going to make it happen and being able to be confident in that way because that is a form of confidence
1: yeah there's a lot of judgment calls that need to be made but just Approaching that topic of estimates once again, this is a big area that I really, really, really want to address because I see so many projects running over what their estimates were and a lot of people getting very angry about it. I am going to make a statement here. I personally do not believe that Kickstarter should have estimated delivery dates on reward tiers. So I'm just going to address a few of the reasons why here. The first is that, again, as I mentioned, a lot of people are doing this for the first time. Not only do they not know what their final thing is going to actually look like when they start out they also do not have the experience necessary to be able to make accurate estimates. Or if they do have the experience necessary, stretch goals can wreck those initial estimates. Other sorts of things might come up like whoops we have to make a lot of changes i guess it's going to take more time another big thing that will add to that is a lot of kickstarters are done with the idea that the developer is going to try to do what they wanted to do with it not being adherent to the whims of a publisher and so they're going to err on the side of quality as opposed to getting it out on time there's uh Also, just unanticipatable events that will happen. The example that comes to my mind is one of the uh, Reaper Miniature's Bones Kickstarters was delayed due to a port strike. They could not have predicted a port strike. There's just a lot of different things that can make estimates not come through on time. There can be other life circumstances also, for example, somebody getting sick. Early estimates are very difficult to get correct when you're trying to determine how long is it going to take to make this thing? It's very easy to just be wrong on that.
0: Yeah, it's very easy to just end up being wrong, especially if you well, one of the worst things that you can do when you're doing your estimates is best case scenarioing it. That will Oh yeah. that will screw you over very quickly. Every single time. Like the the rule of thumb that I usually go by and I'm not going to say that it is especially successful in being accurate, but it can help in just making sure that when you're looking at your development times, you are actually allowing yourself time to mess up time to actually do what you need to do on the product. And that is you think of the amount of time that you feel it would take to actually do the thing. And when you do that, you take the actual additional consideration of do I know what I'm doing with this? Do I really know how to do this sort of thing? If the answer is yes, you're going to add 50% to that time. That 50% that is added on is to account for any form of screw up. Um, that you could be on there. And if you are in any way uncertain as to whether or not you know how to do something, then you need to multiply your time by 2.5. So add another 150% to that time, partially because you have to allow for learning how to do the thing. Once you've learned it, making your mistakes, relearning how to do it the right way, fixing your mistakes, and then going to complete the product.
1: Yeah. Something else that will tank uh, these estimates are new teams. They don't know how to work together yet. If all they've done is create cool ideas that they're all excited about, they haven't gotten down to the nitty-gritty of working together yet. They don't know how to work together. They don't know how the other people are going to work. Team drama might come up. People might leave. All sorts of things can happen. And just one final note about estimates. Estimates are best guesses. So they carry very light weight when it comes to determining when something's actually going to be done. Yeah.
0: In our last podcast, we made a statement about making your schedule and setting it up as a set of goals as opposed to a set of deadlines. And this is important. Now, with kickstarting, invariably, it's going to be deadlines. And that's... That's gonna hurt you. But the important thing to realize is that when you're making your estimates, uh, you need to understand that this is a prediction. This is not in stone. And you use your predictions to basically state, do we need to work faster or do we need to work slower? Do we need to be more efficient? What can we do to catch up? What can we do to slow down? All those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of complication when it comes to this. And I think we've kind of talked a lot about estimates I want to talk briefly about stretch goals in a little bit more detail. Yes. Just because I feel that this is something where the developers can fall into their own hype machine. Yeah. Uh, And keeping a level head during the Kickstarter, pre-plan all, all of your stretch goals, research them, understand how much they will cost to do, not just monetarily, but in time, and be open about how the Kickstarters will increase development time. It was very interesting, actually, and somewhat educational to look back at the stretch goals for Mighty Number Nine. It looked to me like there was a point where I could recognize this is what they had planned. After this, they're coming up with stuff. They're just pulling things out of thin air to try to come up with something to feed into the hype machine. And I think a lot of those additional goals beyond sort of that, that point, uh, I forget exactly where it was. It was right before the two player online co-op.
0: Yeah, the, um, yeah, right before two player online co-op, basically right before online became a prospect was at least where I feel it started looking like they were coming up with things that
1: they needed to meet the the, the yeah the the hype yeah right? they're trying to come up with stuff exciting part of what makes me feel that way is the double exclamation points on that one yeah but there's just something about it that felt. After that point, that thing is just like, let's just try to keep this fire going without any real thought to what was being put on that fire. Yeah. Uh, And I think that burned them badly later down the line. In particular, I think promising to release the game on the Nintendo 3DS was an absolutely horrible idea because the 3DS architecturally is going to require them to effectively rebuild the game from the ground up for that platform.
0: Yeah, and that's not even to talk about the PS Vita, which even if we disregard optimizations to put it on there, it's a PS Vita. I'm sorry, Sony, but it's not a very good
1: platform to put your title on. It doesn't have quite enough proliferation. But yeah, the 3DS is just, my gut says that took a year to year and a half of extra development time for some decent sized chunk of people to get it working on that. Yeah, and
0: that's one of the biggest issues, really, although it does harken back to something else we stated in one of our earlier casts. Networking programmers are magical, and they are hard to find. And, sure, with the online modes. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what they went through on that, but I know that no matter what, doing any form of online stuff, either without the expertise or without the team, or even having to try and find somebody that you, you need to do that, it's difficult, especially if your game doesn't have the hooks for it already. Yeah.
1: There's one other sort of big concern that we have for developers when it comes to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. While it's extremely valuable for funding, there is some danger that comes with early exposure, which hype or sort of excitement for your project is a very valuable resource. And spending it on your Kickstarter can lower how much you have left to spend on the game's release
0: yes and it is important to view it as a resource because humans in general have this thing of where we like new stuff but a thing is only new for a short period of time and so you naturally have a window as soon as your item reaches somebody's eyes unless you have we'll say unless you have a very brilliant campaign or you have some way of spreading out the spending of your hype on your title. It is very dangerous to start early. Yeah.
1: Uh, hype fatigue can set in and, and leave potential consumers like, Oh yeah, I've heard about that. Whatever. And it can hit. I want to say Duke Nukem forever, but like that pushed so far beyond the yeah. end of the hype fatigue that it pushed back into hype territory. Yeah, it, it was weird because it
0: went around the horn and came back, and people were like, oh my gosh, it's been 10 years. <laughs> 15, I think. 15 years. Oh my goodness, that game. And the fact of the matter was, 15 years of development, that's like, because that actually went through sep- at least one console cycle, I want to say. Uh, too, but,
1: multiple? Yeah, that went through multiple console so cycles. So the game came out, I think it started development in the 90s.
0: Jeez, was it back then?
1: I mean, I know, I know the Duke is
0: like, he's a character from that time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Ugh.
1: It well, went through several engine changes.
0: Yeah, several engine changes. A lot of, and I know a lot of conceptual changes because you know a product doesn't change
1: hands and change designers without having that shift. Um. Uh, generally not, no. But uh, yeah, anyway, hype fatigue, it is a potential concern. If you're going to do Kickstarter, think about how you're going to handle the release hype. And also it drastically extends how long you have to do community management for. That can be real tiresome. Well, not only that, but you have to do community management with a product in development. Like with the product that is in development, that's really, really hard because of the challenges of a developing product. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of things that go with that. And I suppose while we're inside of this area, I do want to make a shout out to the guy. Um I mean I actually played Mighty Number no. 9 and tried the game out and I'm not going to say that it's a bad game. I very much enjoyed it myself, but that's cuz I'm an old Mega Man nut. So you give me anything that jumps and shoots and dashes and I'll um, I'll eat it up. But I want to make a shout out to the guy. Thanks for doing your best on that. I know it was a really tough deal and taking the chance on Kickstarter because I mean, I learned a lot from what you did on that. So yeah, I want to make a shout out for that.
1: One final big concern or set of concerns that I Santa personally have with Kickstarter is I think that a lot of the people on there are not prepared to be either venture capitalists, you know, instead of consumers or to see behind the curtain by watching something develop from conception. Creation is often a very messy process, and there are many who are not ready to see inside this sort of proverbial sausage factory. And and that's just kind of that final point that I personally wanted to make sure was made. Venture capitalism is very, very different from consumption, from being a consumer. And uh, I implore everybody who intends to be a backer to be very respectful of the creation process as well, um, especially since they're getting to see it from very, very early and just how messy it is. And there are, unfortunately, a lot of people who are not ready for that messiness. Yeah. And I do want to say on a, on a slightly higher
0: note that it is exciting to be a venture capitalist. And I definitely don't want to deter people from doing it with that knowledge in mind that venture capitalism is a big risk. It is. And understanding that is important. But you think
1: of it like poker. You're taking an educated risk. I definitely encourage people to think carefully about being backers, but not to be discouraged from backing in projects that they believe in.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something great about being a part of making something awesome
1: or even just being a part of the struggle to get something out there. Yeah. Or in many ways, investing in the dreams of somebody else.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of a cool thing. With that, I'd like to say that we're, we're pretty close to done on our Kickstarter talk here, I think. I think we are. So, uh, I think on the final note, just, uh, do your homework on these starters and realize that it's hard out there for a developer, just as hard it is out there for a player. And don't be a player hater and certainly don't hate on those developers.
1: Yep. Uh, Also, because I I feel it is a good idea, I want to thank everyone who might be listening to this who has backed projects and taken that leap of faith and uh, decided to to take some small risk with the people who are taking a big one and chasing their dreams. So thank you.
0: Yeah, in some ways, those risk takers, they are doing it for you. Because after a fashion, an artist is nothing without an audience. Well, he's not nothing. He's still something, but he's so much more when he has someone to do his work for.
1: And to share it with. Well, with that, Santir, signing off.
0: And this is Redcoat signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.